I'm Katie. And I'm Michael. And this is Missing History, where each week we bring you and ourselves a story about a woman or someone who identifies as female that we want to know more about. We'll share some stories, talk about it, and maybe get a little mad at the patriarchy. Maybe more than a little mad. Today's episode contains strong language and references to violence and sexual assault. Hi. Hello, hello. Okay, let's do it. Do we want to do we want to let the people know what we've done this week that's different than what we normally do? Oh, I guess so. I guess we can. So, why I don't know why we decided to do this in particular with this one. I think it's just cuz we're trying to record so many so compactly. I don't want to say quickly cuz we are taking our time. But we are trying to do several episodes in one week and part of the um thought process was we had a lot of fun the last time we did a combo episode even though it was like spur of the moment they were like oh we should do an intentional combo episode to see how that goes yeah and i think similar to last time we did this we both were like oh this is a group of women so cool can see what sort of different things we can draw out about them yeah yeah Exactly. So I'm a little unclear on how we're going to do it because I kind of like jumped around in my notes, but oh, I great. figure our conversation can lead us that way. Yeah, I jumped around we'll in my just notes make it too. A, we're just going to be nice and organic. Um, Which is going to stress me out, but I know is ultimately for the better. It's okay. We're just going to talk to each other. We're going to forget about the fact that we're on microphones and Jen is listening to every word we say. Great. Oh, and it's our 25th episode. Oh my god, that's right. It is our 25th episode. Happy happy 25. You too. Congratulations. We did it. We can we can rent a car now with our <laughs> podcast. Oh my god, Perfect. that's so exciting. That is exciting. I, uh, 25, that's weird to think about, yeah, isn't it? I feel like we should, should we be making a bigger deal about this? Should there be like no. sound effects and balloons? Should I have bought a cake? As far as I'm concerned, the only one listening to me right now, the only one listening to it right now are our mothers. So I think... I, Hi, mom. I actually, um, I hate to break it to you, but at least that, I mean, at my current workplace, a number of people listen to us to the point where they will reference things in episodes, but they're episodes we recorded months ago. And so I have forgotten okay. the thing that they're referencing, but we oh, have, that's fair. We have I at mean, least, I'd Jen say, has mentioned women's names back at me several times. And I'm like, I can't remember if that was mine or my goal. <laughs> I mean, they're in there, but they're not necessarily under that file. Um, yeah. What were you saying? I was saying, so we've got, I think, six, at least six people are listening right now. I mean, at this six point, they, I think they've stopped listening because we've gone two and a half minutes now without mentioning the exciting women we're going to talk about, but they were listening a minute oh, ago. I don't know. I think our sparkling personalities will keep them interested. Here's the hope, right? As I say that with the most vocal fry ever. <laughs> um, Okay, so who are we talking about today? Well, I think this is probably like a great place to kick it off, just like last time. I think the the name of this group of women is Ugh, a really yeah, good what conversation are we call to start them? with. I really want to call them the Harvard Computers. <gasps> Me too, buddy. Great. That feels like the least misogynistic name. Yeah, because what's the other option that you will find them under in Wikipedia? Pickering's harem. Incorrect everyone that is incorrect we do not for two reasons one pickering is a character in my fair lady so i can't not say it without thinking of henry higgins saying it in my head <laughs> and in that case it's rex harrison which is a silly thing to have in your head and secondly harem is both offensive to an entire culture of people as well as the women that we're going to talk about so we're not going to talk about it that way i love it boom boom so it's fun to yep did, did you you just, you just mic drop I just kind of like dropped a little bit. It's early though for the episode, so I'm gonna pick it back up. Okay, great. Yeah, we we should probably keep going. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, who's Mr. Pickering? So, Mr. Pickering, uh, first name Edward, uh, mm-hmm. very Victorian, um, like the most, like Edward Charles Pickering. That is, that's a trifecta. It, yep he's 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 a British dude. Uh, and he, in 1877, is appointed the director of the Harvard Observatory. Yeah, um, pretty big deal. Which, at this time, let's just, like, can we get a little context for, like, what an observatory had 
Do you know what I mean? Because like, I think in my brain initially, I'm like, oh, an observatory that looks like this. And it's probably very modern images of what space looks like mm-hmm. because we've been spoiled in the past 50 years with the Hubble telescope and stuff. Totally. Or like even like other devices that they've sent up. Like this is pre all of that. So they genuinely yes. just had really kick butt telescope, but it didn't mm-hmm. have color. It didn't have the amazing technology we have today. It could see a lot. And the fact that there's less electricity means there's less light pollution. So it could probably see way more than we can now from the naked eye, but definitely, um, but it is a different environment to what we know now. Yeah. I mean, in a way it's sort of, it's that stereotypical image of like an old school observatory, like the white dome that you like crank open Mm -hmm. to rotate with the like giant optical telescope. This is sort of peak Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. period. Um, Mm-hmm. And it's actually, it's mm-hmm. just sort of the beginning of being able to, like, take pictures of the things you would see in telescopes. So... Oh, yeah, that's true. Pretty much any yeah. any point prior to this, like, if you wanted to see something, you put your eye to the telescope, and you looked at it, and you took some notes. And that was, and like... And hopefully, like, somebody hired, like, Bobby in the back to, like, draw a picture of what you had seen. Yeah. Like, so it was not the most effective way of like communicating visual information to other people Mm. um but in the the 1870s and 1880s as photography is getting more advanced some astronomers are playing around with the idea that like maybe we can take a picture of what we're seeing and then it'll last and then we can like talk about it and share it and then we don't have to like do all of our notes at night we can just like take a bunch of pictures and then sleep in and like do it over coffee the next day we can have a night shift yeah. Yay. Um, and so that's, in a way, sort of how we find ourselves in the situation that's going to give us the Harvard computers. Because in the 1880s, as this technology is getting better, all of a sudden you've got this really interesting problem for astronomers, which is now they have all of these pictures that they've taken through their telescope, but they have way more pictures than time and people to look at the pictures. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're kind of scrambling would be like, well, we've taken like several thousand pictures of the night sky but now we need to do something with it how do we yeah and it's not like the sexy task of like "Ooh, i discovered a star it's like now you have to keep track of all these little white dots on a on a picture and like see how they rotate and that's how you know how they're moving and like what you know you have to have some way of um cataloging that for lack of a better word you have to have some way of like keeping that organized because you also don't can't just like save the picture and then there's no documentation of like what day you took it on what was the orientation like how did you you know southern sky you know what were you pointing at to give us context like if it's just a imagine seeing like 50 pictures of the night sky on a wall like would you be able to discern which one's which like the world's hardest jigsaw puzzle oh my gosh it's a nightmare um, so all of that, plus the amount of pictures that they had, as you said, was just insanely high. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that over the course of Pickering's time at the observatory, just one person cataloged over like 20,000 images. So yeah. if you think there's you know dozens of people working there at some time, that is tens of thousands of pictures of little white dots. Yeah, so... Um, a computer is pretty accurate to the kind of tasks that they had to do. It's a lot of like difficult calculations, things that people didn't want to spend a lot of time on that then these people were hired to do. Um, A lot of not necessarily grunt work, but really detailed calculations and things of that nature. Yeah. And it's really, it's interesting. There's a fascinating article on lady science magazine, which I highly recommend to anyone interested mm-hmm. in feminist history of science um, that's sort of talking about this big sort of conceptual divide between capital S science, the like thinking, the coming up with the great ideas, the like theorizing, the stuff that the men get to do, and then the like grunt worky computing that you need to do in order for all of that stuff to happen. But that is mm. like very often sort of relegated to a second tier status and that's yep. why it's often given to women. Like the hidden figures story is sort of the like crucial, like that is like the quintessential version of that story, which is like we needed to send someone into space and like the men are doing all the thinking and they're like figuring it out. But the, the people who are doing the math that make that happen 
are the women. Generally, like check the work and see if it's physically possible, right? Based on <laughs> the stuff that you know, which is science and math. Yeah, exactly. The hard facts. Yeah. Um, but that sort of division between the like the thinking and the labor is often yeah. kind of used as a justification and for well, it's not really you're not doing real science, so it doesn't really matter that we're not paying you and we don't respect you. Well, n- well, that's not even like that's not why they weren't being paid. They weren't being paid because they before the before the tendency to hire. First of all, the timeline is really important. So women are starting to get jobs more often. Like this is coinciding with the suffragette moment movement becoming more popular. So women in the workforce is starting to take on a different connotation. There are women in the workforce in different capacities. Like you have a maid and you have a butler at your house, right? But you're paying the maid probably significantly less because the butler is seen and all of these, all of this nonsense. But um, a lot of the reason that they would hire the women is not only like it's 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 it is like the 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 optics of it but it's also like you're it's the same reason that people hire um uh hired people of color in the 50s and 60s because you could like Anne Lowe like her dresses were worth the same but due to the systems in place the employer was able to get away with paying them half or less than that Mm-hmm. Because you didn't have to pay a woman as much for the tried and true reason of they only have to support themselves. A man usually has a family to support, so we need to pay them more. And that is like clearly still an element of like why pay is such a discrepancy today. Because there's this like lingering feeling of like what a man is spending his money on versus what a woman would be spending her money on right except the deep deep irony of that is that when women work it's often because they are supporting a family and so that money is actually going to the family and when men work yes. it's less often going there yes. accurate but we digress anyway the the basic thing is like pickering wasn't necessarily just like a philanthropic feminist being like i'm gonna get these gals in the in the in the situation it was genuinely like he had men doing the work um the work became much uh greater in scope and so how could he i mean i'm guessing i don't have anything to cite this but you tell me if i'm wrong michael if all of a sudden you have like twice the work but the same amount of budget how do you get the work done? You're going to try and save those costs however you can. So he decided to hire women to help save on his costs, but to keep the same amount of work. Yep. Am I wrong? No, that, that That's the checks basic out. Like, economy version of this hiring system. Yeah, because if you can pay... And this, I mean, this is like kind of the, the weird insidiousness of patriarchy. It's that mm-hmm. the women are assumed it, to be as competent as the men... Because yes. the idea is that you want to double your ability to get things done. But yep. because they're women, you don't value their work as much. So you're not going to pay them as much. For whatever freaking reason. Which allows you to do that. that part. Right, this is the right, this thing I don't get. So we, I mean, because the story, can I can I tell the, the Willem and F. Fleming funny story? Oh my, yeah, okay. Um, so at least in, in one version of the story. Um, mm-hmm. It, I've read it many times, yeah. but yes. Um, Pickering is sort of berating his male assistant because he is apparently, like, not doing a particularly good job, and Pickering is very mm-hmm. frustrated with this. And so he, in a sort of, like, offhanded way, is like, well, my Scottish maid could probably do better than you. Which is double problematic because he said Scottish with a certain connotation, it sounds like. Oh, oh yeah. He definitely. Yeah. Um, but so at the, the time, he, um, he was employing a Scottish woman named Wilhelmina Fleming, um, who mm-hmm. had um, recently immigrated to the United States um, and whose husband abandoned her pretty much immediately after she got pregnant. And so she's mm. a single mother. She's working as a maid to support her and her child. Um, yeah, because I heard her husband left her, like, dramatically. Just, like, she was pregnant. abandoned her. He was like, mm, I'm done. Yeah. Because yep. he's a great so she's guy. She's like, great, now I have this thing that no one thought I would have to deal with. I have to provide for my family as a single mother. And so that's what she does. Uh, um, yeah, so she's a maid. Apparently this assistant was just being um, very incompetent. So 
Apparently he let her try. She did. She was great at it. I don't know how much was osmosis or God-given, like, aptitude. Um, But she's really... Should we just go, like, lady by lady and talk about what they did? Yeah. Not all of them. We have some kind of featured ones. Let's Um, let's So Wilhelmina is one of them. She she analyzes... um, stars she she devises the system for how to classify stars according to how much hydrogen could be observed in their spectra what does that mean i can't really tell you she was able to tell i um, i could give like the the quick and dirty version oh my god give it yeah please help me (laughs) yeah so it's um there's this discovery and i can't remember exactly when but it's this idea that when you burn gases they give off Mm. different colors so if you mm. look at like a hydrogen gas being burned through a prism, like a glass prism, it'll give out a different set of the visual light spectrum. And so you can actually identify what gas is being burned based on the colors that it produces in that glass prism. This brings up a very interesting thing I find uh, fascinating with color as well, which is the fact that color blindness is runs runs so rampantly in the male gender versus uh, I'm sorry the male sex versus the female sex. Do you know mm-hmm. about this? Yeah, because it's that I wonder like you know uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. The fact uh. that. M- Ratio-wise, more men are prone to be colorblind. Like, would they have found this thing as fast? I don't know if a woman discovered, like, looking through a prism, you could figure out color of hydrogen on stars. But I definitely think the fact that color and gender are very fascinating to me is what I'm trying to say. Yes. And so I find it interesting that she's excelling at a thing where color is a major factor. And Well, that's the thing I found so incredibly fascinating because I hadn't put it together, but it's black and white photography. And so when they're taking Mm -hmm. pictures of the spectrum... It's not like their color, like you don't see the like the red or the blue. It's just like a black and white gradient. And so not mm-hmm. only do you have to be able to like pick out these details of these like tiny stars, but when you're looking at the spectra, you're actually like trying to figure out mm-hmm. based on like the shading and the position what that color is without yeah. any of the color clues of being able to actually like see it in real life. Interesting. So it's like doubly in, in a way it's like doubly difficult because you don't have the colors to help clue you into things. So you have to look like at where the particular wavelengths would be on the image. Fascinating. Yeah. So in a way, Ugh. so right, it's this like color-based system, but they're doing it on black and white photos, so it's not actually. So men color-based. would be fine at it. They would be, but they don't want to do in it. Theory. So they're paying. It's hard. Do. It's hard, and it takes <laughs> so, a long time. It's so hard. I can't see color anyway. Anyway, okay, great. So she catalogs over. I have like ten thousand stars in her work. Mm-hmm. Nine years, 10,000 stars. That's, I don't even know what that comes out to day to day. It's a lot of stars. But she, she also, like, as she was um, cataloging, she discovered nebula, um, variable stars, and, and novas. So, like, they're just learning all these terminologies at this point. Like, they don't, I, I just, I'm starting to get out of my element in terms of astronomy of, like, why these are fascinating. But the fact that she is discovering bodies in the heavens at this time is sort of unheard of and the fact that she was a scottish maid yeah. kind of makes the icing on the cake uh and so she gets recognized for all of her work which i found really interesting because i in sort of going into this originally was like oh these women were like totally brushed under the rug like no one paid attention to them but it actually there was sort of a period while they were actively working where they were getting recognized for this work and so she is an honorary member of the Royal Astronomical Society of London. Uh, mm-hmm. She's awarded a medal by the Astronomical Society of Mexico, like, mm-hmm. and publishes a number of books and um, gets cited in these sort of big published tables of star data that she helps put together. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like a, the number of the other women are also recognized in their own time as opposed to the women at NASA um, who mm-hmm. only get recognized after the fact. Yeah. And she's also um, in her, in within her career working at the observatory, she's put in charge of other women hired to compute. Um, she sort of becomes like one of the leaders of the computers at the time. And I don't know if you said, but she was also an honorary member of the Royal Astronomical Society of London. Did you talk about I that? I did just say that. 
You did just say that. Yeah. There's so many anagrams. Okay, yeah, that it, one. Where she's actually the first American to be in that. Mm-hmm. Did you say that? I did not American say that. Woman? Yeah, first American woman to be a part of that organization. Um, which was kind of unheard of at the time. And at the time that she, she you know, it wasn't like one of, like, as you said, these posthumous things. Um, yeah, she's pretty... She's I have, cool. she published her discovery of white dwarfs. I mean, she did, she discovered a lot of things. The Horsehead Nebula, which I've seen in photographs, it's exactly as it sounds. Basically, this uh, star blew up 150,000 years ago, and we still are, I don't know, that that amount of time is probably not right, but we're now, <laughs> we, are, we can still see the um, light from it, because that's how time and light works, which I also still don't understand fully, because Einstein makes me confused, but... um. There's pictures of it from Hubble or whatever telescope can print in color now. And it's actually, it's amazingly beautiful. Like, you wonder what they could have seen if they could have seen these pictures in color and mm-hmm. seen them with um, the technology we have today. Probably be like, holy yeah. shit. So that's Wilhelmina Fleming. Yeah. Um, some of the other women I read about um, is Annie Jump Cannon. Um, Cannon. Let me find her on my list. Yep. Okay. Ready. Cool. I think I you probably have more that I do on her. Um, I just had that she's the one. She sort of took the original system for categorizing stars that Fleming and Pickering had developed, um, mm-hmm. and sort of reorganized it into what is now the like international standard system for categorizing stars. Yeah. Um, it's called the Harvard system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is like to this day, it's how you classify a star when you observe it. Yep. And there's still a mnemonic device in, involved in, like, that classification of stars that she developed. I don't really know what they mean. They have to do with absorption lines, which I don't understand at all. <laughs> she was both a nerd and uh, really good at it. So she got some honorary doctorates in the 20s um, after she had worked at Harvard for some time. She uh, got an honorary doctorate degree in math and astronomy. Um, uh, Apparently, she dominated in this field because of her tidiness and patience on the tedious work. So she was clearly, like, adept at the the computing aspect of her career. Like, Like, as you said, there's this tendency of when your name has to be on the paper, you have to be a little more big picture, like Pickering was. Like, he has to oversee, manage, da-da-da. So all these, like, little menial tasks is where she really flourished and probably, like, would be an efficiency expert today. Mm-hmm. Like, she was able to just get in there and do all the nuanced, tiny things to really make the big picture soar. Um, I also have that she wrote books and articles while she was working to increase the... Um, uh, the status of the observatory and astronomy in general. And she represented professional women at the World's Fair in Chicago. Very cool. Um, I have that she manually classified more stars in a lifetime than anyone else at around 350,000 stars. Holy shit. Which is kind of insane. She discovered her first star in 1898, but was not able to confirm it until 1905. <laughs> so she just had to wait around, I guess, for that. Um, oh, boy. Canon could classify three stars a minute just by looking at their spectral patterns, and if using a magnifying glass, could classify stars down to the ninth magnitude, around 16 times fainter than the human eye can see. And her work was also highly accurate. Wow. So she probably had, like, crazy awesome eyesight. Yeah. As well as just a keen mind and a type A personality. (laughs) It's a good combination to have. Yeah, for this job, she was, like, tailor-made. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy when you look at the the pictures of their workspace. It's like the worst hellish open office plan you could possibly imagine. It's yeah, like and they have to wear corsets. Corsets, big skirts in like uncomfortable wooden chairs at small wooden desks, like crowded around each other in a small room. Oh my God. It sounds miserable to me. Oh my God, it sounds so bad. It sounds so bad. Um, she also was able to travel with her career, so she was actually able to go to Peru and photograph the stars in the Southern Hemisphere for about six months in 1922, which, in astronomy terms, like, when you can see the whole other half of the planet's viewpoint, has to only add to, like, 
your records. No wonder she did 350,000 stars in her lifetime. Yeah. Um, and the, the story I was reading about the, so the Harvard Observatory in Peru, obviously mm. like on the top of a mountain, cause that's where you put observatories. Um, yep, and so heavy. they would usually, usually the staff was one person who would like mm-hmm. stay up all night photographing and then would put the photographic plates on a donkey, take the donkey oh down the mountain in the morning, Get out. load the plates on a train, which would take it to a boat, which would take it to the observatory outside of Boston. Oh my god. Yeah. What a hoot. Donkey based astronomy. Yeah, I love that. That's how you know you're happy to live in these times. Yeah. Um who next? Who else should we talk about? Um Anna Winlock I have. Go for it. I I don't have her. Oh, she's the daughter of Joseph Winlock. So she actually got into the observatory game because her dad worked for the observatory. So when he died, she needed to find a way to support herself as well as her family. A common theme of women of this time. Um, And she was able to do calculations. She was capable of reducing um, un... She was... Oh, yeah. Volumes of unreduced observations. So decades worth of numbers in a useless state that her dad had left unfinished, she kind of took the mantle up and was able to kind of condense and and simplify everything. Um, and she offered to do this to the observatory, and they were like, your dad was so great, let's do it. Uh, having been previously introduced to the principles of mathematical astronomy by her dad, she seemed like, like for all reasons, Harvard was like, oh yeah, and you're worth half the price, let's do this. Um, So she ended up working for over 30 years at the observatory, and her most significant work was with um, reducing her father's uh, observations. What they mean by reducing, I think, is a little more complicated than just, like, shrinking or whatever. It was was simplifying and, like, clean lines and efficiency, Mm -hmm. basically. All the fun computery things. Um... So, um, for 20 years, she worked on a project called the Cambridge Zone, um, which was able to contain information of uh, more than 100,000 stars and is used worldwide by observatories today and their researchers. So, it was just like putting all of this data into a workable system so that other observatories could use the, the, the data and the calculations that had been kind of collected over time. Um she also was able to create the observatory annals, which was a collection of tables that provide the positions of variable stars and clusters into volumes. What does that mean? Basically, she's uh, really good at trimming the fat, making things workable for others, um, making this data transferable to other places and able to be um, shared by other observatories. So, yeah. Very cool. And she's probably a, cannon. a great yeah. mm-hmm. a great jumping off point for this, like, women as, like, unpaid academic labor thing. Mm. Um, so it's actually the really common for, like, wives, daughters, um, sisters to basically be, like, unpaid assistants for male academics, um, mm-hmm. like, th- through the 60s, um, where they would, like edit or like copy edit or like compile a lot of the work that they did that their like husbands Mm. or brothers or dads did um and wouldn't get any credit for it wouldn't get paid for it would just sort of be like assumed that if you were in like an academic family you'd be like doing some of that family work to help out um but so that it was sort of like one of our early episodes with marie lavoisier like if someone passed mm-hmm. away, it was, like, very usual for the woman to, like, step in and, like, finish the project or, like, keep doing the family work. Um, yeah. But, like you mentioned, sort of without the, like, pay, prestige, and benefits that would come if they were a man doing that same kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's why you get, like, male professors marrying their former students very frequently because they're, like qualified to like help them work on their research but then you don't have to Mm. pay them um Mm -hmm. and like it it only really ends i mean it's kind of still around but only really ends in like the 1960s when we're like Mm -hmm. maybe that's inappropriate because it's definitely inappropriate 
Yeah. Yeah, I think I tried to try... I kept trying to find uh, different data about um, what they were paid, and the best I could find is, like, full days, uh, about six days a week max, being paid between 25 cents and 50 cents an hour. Mm-hmm. Depending on the work. But for a lot of them, they, they didn't work there for a short time. They worked there for, like, decades, if not multiple decades, uh, like 30 years or so with some of them. So they clearly got a lot out of the work and were able to see the observatory grow in prestige and, and uh, contribution to the scientific community. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about the harem effect? Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, go ahead <laughs> so i think i let, we can start off with like our favorite our favorite bit about the late 1800s which is that like men think women doing things is going to do weird things to their uterus oh my god um, okay so i did not come up with this in my research go ahead so in this case it's how is looking at picture okay yep. go ahead mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm done um so there's a harvard physician so like literally down the road from them who writes mm-hmm. um quote a woman's body can only handle a limited number of developmental tasks at one time that girls who spend too much energy developing their minds during puberty would end up with an underdeveloped or diseased reproductive system. Oh my God. Oh my God. Harvard. Harvard came up with that. Harvard. And not like 1705 Harvard, like late 1800s Medical Harvard. school Harvard. Yeah. Yeah, they were so wrong about so many things. Right. And then these poor people are just trying to do science, actual science down the road. And he's over there being a twat. Your womb won't develop, and then what good will you be? Because <laughs> that is your only. And then all of them are like, woman. actually, we've already had kids, some of us, so we're good. And he's like, but your wombs, everyone, your wombs. Why am I <laughs> preoccupied with this? Ah, it's not in my darn business, but I'm going to get in there. Yeah, we probably shouldn't dig too deeply into that. Oh my god, that's so gross, Michael. Yeah. So, so that's the world pretty we're much in. Women, pretty much women in all forms of transport as well. Mm-hmm. I feel Bicycle, like that's the recurring horse, theme. horse, carriage, car, train, space shuttle. We all had to talk about wombs. Prior to set, letting a lady get in the said vehicle. Yep. Because, you know... It just floats it's, around. It's going to fall out. It's going <laughs> to pop out somewhere. And then what are we going to do? We won't know how to deal with it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm just going to stop talking. Okay. That's great. I feel so like. So the harem effect. So the is harem effect. Cool, is that an actual term? Is that a. Um, so it's a, is that a. Yeah. It's a sociological term in both history of science and human sexual behavior. We're only going to talk about the science part. We'll leave the human sexual behavior to another episode. Okay. Um didn't look it up and i'm a little scared too is it like like cults and stuff like there's one guy and like 80 women because that's my assumption people are magnetic in that way but in that weird, i creepy way. did not click on that Predatory. wikipedia page because that felt like let's a dark stick with scientific right now yeah what's the scientific implication so it's where a male scientist in a position of power hires predominantly female subordinates for his research team um mm. and the sort of the big reasons behind it some of which we've talked about at length um Mm -hmm. you can pay women less therefore you can hire more staff um women are often held to higher standards so like in order to be included their work is of a much higher quality than the men who would otherwise fill those slots insufferable right i mean right you think about like women have to clear a higher bar to be seen as competent and so the advantage to their male bosses is like they're gonna work harder and hold themselves to a higher standard therefore you're gonna get better work out of them for less money less complaining less Mm -hmm. yep keep going um yep there's the idea that it reduces competition because supposedly women are less competitive so they're less likely to compete with each other and they'll be more cooperative working to the ends of the research group I mean, that is true in one way. I mean, that is through the guise of a male uh, supervisor, in my opinion. Because the other whole side of this is that women in employment in a responsible, um, especially at this time, like socially honest career, 
would also have implications. Like, if you don't have this job, what is your alternative? Yep, exactly. So, like, why would you rock the boat? It's this or a laundress or a maid or, you know, maybe you work in a shop, but maybe not. I mean, you're doing intellectually stimulating scientific research versus, like, cleaning out the privy every day. So, like, of course you're not going <laughs> to rock the boat. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that's really sort of the last thing. That's, like, your staff turnover is going to be lower because they don't have a lot of other options. There isn't a mm. lot of other workout for them. And they're less likely this to be... This is so gross to talk about. <laughs> Isn't it? Great. Yeah, I um, hate it so much. And, like, the, the biggest problem with men is that, like, they get good at what they do and then other people want to hire them to do other things. But you don't have to worry about that with women. Like, no one's going to let a woman go run her own observatory or give her her own lab or, like, promote her above you. So it's fine because you'll just get all of these incredibly competent, qualified women doing work for you even though they should have long ago gotten promoted into bigger positions also the flip side of this is like they can clearly do the work but men had to go to school to receive the training to be able to say they could do the work which is unfair to both sexes really because if you don't need schooling to actually accomplish the task because the women were doing that so you're forcing one gender to go to school to require this thing that they then won't get hired for because they're hiring unqualified quote-unquote qualified people to do it right so you're kind of shafting both groups in different ways yeah in that way i hadn't thought i mean about like, it like clearly that. i think so i mean like if you're looking at it from like a worker standpoint right there's these jobs and for you we're gonna say that you need a college degree and you need to be able to um write your papers and publish things and you need to be a doctor meanwhile you need to do that. So you need to go to school and do that. Okay, great. You're, while you're at school, we're going to hire these uns... Oh. Uncredentialed? That is an uncredentialed uh, workers. But because they actually can't be let into school, we can just skip that hoop and not jump through it at all. And we'll just have them do the work and just kind of push everything else under the rug. And then not have to hire these people with these credentials that come at a higher cost, both because of gender and skill, quote-unquote skill set. An experience. Yeah, it's <laughs> like what? Like wh- who's writing this rule book? It is screwed up for everybody. It is, and it's it's so fascinating because the the flip side of that, j- like jumping ahead to the NASA situation, is you would then it, and NASA get this situation where you'd have people who would be effectively doing the same work, but the male person doing the work would get classified as a professional staff member and so like mm-hmm. get paid more and the female person generally either because they were like less credentialed or because yeah. they were women would get classified as the non-professional staff and so they get paid less and so you, yeah. you get that sort of similar weirdness where it's like wait why they're they're doing the same thing you've hired them to do the same thing but then you've made this like very obscure deliberate choice to like pay one more than the other And the flip side of it is a whole gender of that. You're not allowing to actually attain the same credentials. Mm -hmm. So they can't even, like, even get close to getting the same uh, equal footing. Yep. Uh, Because you can't even let them into school in the first place to get a degree. So what do you want? I'm so confused. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I mean... Do you want credentials or do you want free labor i mean that's what you really want you really want free labor yes but that is a immoral and terrible so get over yourself that it is um and so the the like the the fascinating thing about this quote-unquote harem effect is that prior to like maybe the last decade or so it's often sort of credited with getting more women into the sciences it's like well these like benevolent men hired all of these women to do things and like they then went on to do great things therefore the men are to thank for Bengali effect being if, you in will. It, if you will mm-hmm. um and so that sort of obviously means you like have to not look at the really questionable motives for hiring women in the first place and it denies a whole lot of agency to like women for doing the work mm-hmm. to get recognized and also ignores sort of these other ways that women get like break into the scientific profession and establish a foothold mm. for themselves. Um, yeah. There's apparently a couple of other examples as, besides Pickering. Um, there's a guy, Aaron Frink, 
Smith, um, mm-hmm. who is a, for, around the same period, he works for the Department of Agriculture as a plant scientist, super sexy, mm-hmm. um, who hires <laughs> all sorts of... Uh, Sorry. <laughs> I think the fact that I couldn't see your face, <laughs> that took me off guard, because I don't think you say that very much in these podcasts. That was funny. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, he, sexy plant man. What were you saying? The sexy plant man <laughs> hires female assistants uh, because the USDA's uh, system of exams specifically excludes women from being able to get to higher positions. So he hires them and then can hold on to them because they literally aren't allowed to be promoted out of his department. Um, See, come on. It's bullshit. Uh, is that using the system, though? I mean, that's like using the tools you're given, I guess, to- while not having a moral <laughs> compass. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'd fault him for that. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, I do fault him for that. But at the same time, you know, that's, yeah, Ugh, gross. Yeah. Okay. Um, it all sucks. Okay, great. It all it all sucks. Um, the, A couple more, like, sucky fun misogynistic things um so sort of looking a little bit forward and a little bit back at the same time so one of the reasons that women get hired to be computers um is because it was thought because doing delicate calculations by hand was similar to needlepoint that women would be inherently more qualified to do it cool that checks out right those skills are the exact same thing um and then even when like adding machines get invented and so like the beginnings of sort of mechanical calculations so like well women's hands are smaller so they can use the machines better or something like that that's genuinely why they advocated for child labor <laughs> their hands get in the cotton thing easier so let's get Timmy in here he's eight he's got a tiny little hand let's do that let's forget about the human cost <laughs> yep we're all machines. Capitalism is great. Okay, great. cool. Our tiny little hands. Great. Also, like, not every lady has tiny hands, you dingus. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, then there is um, the example of sort of women working in the Manhattan Project during World War II, um, where women would literally be cut out of photographs doing scientific work like there'd be a picture with like a group of men and women standing by like a large mechanical computer or something like that and they would cut the women literally cut them out of the pictures before publishing them what why i mean i know why but like what's the lot that's a very like that is not a subversive act that's a clear act do you know what i mean yep that's not a no there's nothing subtle about that what the hell are they doing who knows? Sir Fly Down? What was the matter with her in the picture? What was the what was so wrong about showing that? I guess you can't show that like women are working with men on the same level doing like technically complicated things because it would undercut this argument that women can't do technically complicated things. What? Who's making that? Okay, who? Okay, don't we have bigger things? We're standing near an atom bomb. Don't you think there's bigger issues at hand? Than whether or not she is in the picture or not. <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently, people took How about time the out of their day. Catastrophic magnitude of the moral implications of even making this thing to begin with. I personally think both genders should be representative of like that horrible decision to make that thing. <laughs> but no, oh instead we have we have to focus on the pictures. The pictures are the oh important my part. God. Uh, but that was a fun meeting. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it was. We can't show Debbie. Why not? Well, she's got a she's got a weird blouse on. That's a weird reason, Jim. And, well, just cut her out. I don't know. What about... Okay. <laughs> Why do we have these meetings? These don't make sense. Oh, I can just imagine. Um, and then, of course, there's the, the added intersection of race and that. So the African-American women who are doing this work, like, they're not even photographed at all. Um, oh, there's my God. sort of no record of them doing that. Um, so it's just, like, it's a great track record. Long and, and it's like this whole thing with like the evil villain of our stories, which is t- toxic gender politics. Um, and it's just it's it's amazing how it just permeates so many little things, and that's when it becomes a big monster. And the second it's just subtly inside everyone is when it becomes this kind of big 
overall societal thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I don't know. I'm getting weird at this point. But, like, it's all these tiny little things. It's just, like, the little things of, like, she got cut out of a picture. Like, what does that actually matter at the end of the day? Does it? She was fine. She was probably pissed. But, like, that stuff snowballs. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, and it's been it's interesting because I've been reading this book um, called Inferior um, by Angela Sanini, Sani, mm-hmm. um, who is uh, a female engineer writing about how science and social attitudes about women intersect. And it's fascinating because it's exactly that. It's this accumulation over time of these small little things that contribute mm. to these huge gender disparities in how people participate in science, but also, like, how science itself is, like, done and understood. I mean, one of those big Mm -hmm. things is, right, that, like, division of labor, like, who decided that, like, doing the calculations was somehow less important than, like, thinking about the calculations. Like, at some point, we made that decision, and then we assigned the doing of it to women, and the thinking about it to men, and decided that the thinking about it was more important. Like, no one sat down one day and was like, this is how we're going to do it. Jim, you go over there. Pam, you go over there. Yeah, starting a trend versus, like, inheriting and, like, fostering a trend. Exactly. And so, like, that's... I've really enjoyed reading it because it sort of makes clear a lot of that and also calls into this question, like, well, science is objective, so, like, regardless of the biases we have, like, the science that we're producing can't possibly be sexist. Like, you can't have sexist science, right? Except, of course, you can because the people who are doing it are sexist. (laughs) Yep, because it's through the lens of people. Exactly. you try to get to the, like it's the it's one of the better arenas where you're trying to get to the actual pure fact, but yeah, it's just not. It's just not. Yeah, that makes me think about how all of this data in the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like how does data impact your life? Well, okay, the two that I read about in this particular article were seatbelts and office uh, air conditioning temperature. Did you see this? Oh, Did, yeah. Have I think you have, on the podcast? but go for it. This is my favorite well, set the, of things. The, let's do the seatbelts. So the seatbelts, the way seatbelts came about, there was a clear need from society that we all needed seatbelts because too many people were dying in car crashes that could have been avoided if they just hadn't been thrown around in the car. So what does society do? They go, oh, well, we need some research about seatbelts. So then they make a crash test dummy and they make it a certain size and then they make a bunch of them to fit in all the cars. So then all of a sudden we have a whole bunch of crash test dummies that are all six foot dudes. And I'm not saying there's not similarities between a six foot dude and myself, but there's also differences. And if, it, if you're testing like physiological damage on a body type... A, a built six foot guy doesn't necessarily represent as many men or women as it probably should. So am I grateful for seatbelts? Have they saved a lot of lives? Yes. Could we maybe rethink the research that we thought was just good and done and we had figured out and maybe like now they make crash test dummies that are children sized and they make them fit into, um, you know, the different car seats i mean that's why we have car seats that are like amazing now because they decided like oh we need different data for children so those kinds of like initial good research shouldn't be taken away at all we're definitely biased to suit a male body most medical research is on a white male six foot tall 200 pounds whatever Mm -hmm. so like heart disease in certain communities or or certain cancers that are prevalent in certain communities. Like, the things that unfortunately do make differences in us have real implications when it comes to health and wellness. And so there's not a lot of research. There's not, as we've talked before on this podcast, there's not a lot of research on pregnant women because everyone is scared to do research on pregnant women because you the, the stakes are so high. You know? So... I'm not saying there's a good answer. I think doctors and researchers are doing amazing work, but there's clearly like that is a whole realm of bias that exists and has existed. Mm -hmm. Um, And at this, in terms of like how we're living today and how that affects you and I every day. Yeah, and at the same time, right, it's that problem. I think of like there are like sex differences between the like average 
male body and the average female body that for like medicine and physiological things are super important but at the same time you like don't want to essentialize well like all women's bodies are like this all men's bodies are like this like because even it doesn't that binary is still like it's the binary doesn't hold true so yeah you it's that really delicate thing to walk with like but at the same time like heart attacks present differently on average in women than they do on average in men and like that's an important thing to realize and study and how long till they realize that like that took a while for people to even understand or the fact that research on a lot of um reproductive cancer so like ovarian cancer like a pap smear as like a system of pre-diagnosis in a female body was a really uphill battle to climb and it was done by some male doctors but a lot of female doctors that weren't even prevalent until the 60s to be able to go like wait there's this cancer that's killing women and it's preventative if we catch it early so should we do this test and it just wasn't funded wasn't researched there was no data. There was no interest in collecting that data. Um, and I think this is all kind of the similar conversation of like, what is neutral has been male and white for so long. And even now we are still struggling with that idea as even being helpful at this point. Like it was a good place to start. There's a reason we have a lot of research right now because of that and a lot of interest in science and math. But I think the next episode of like research and development in all these fields is figuring out how to adjust research to not have a neutral in terms of person. Because mm-hmm. right now everything is just a little off. All of these things we cite are just like, what? I mean, what? That doesn't... Yeah, they should all come with, nobody a, lo- with nope, a big Or asterisk. eventually, nobody's going to look like that anymore, is the other thing. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody's going to look like that. We're all going to get much taller. Or we're all going to be mixed races. And it's not going to be this this neutral anymore. There's going to be a new neutral at some point. So, I don't know. This is getting very deep. So, <laughs> Well, so do, do we want to sort of pull it out, but on a high note for a change? Sure. For a rare change? Yes, please. Yes, please. Okay, so there's there's the, the harem effect, which we've decided is not going to fly. Um, but there's another theory of sort of the sociology of science about, like, how do you get more female scientists called the seeding effect, um, mm-hmm. which I, I, it's questionable whether it is a sociological theory. In full disclosure, it's put forth by Michelle Francel, who's a chemistry professor, who's also my mom. Uh, Hey, we like her. We do, and I finally get to cite something she wrote on the podcast. This is for you, Mom. Um, You go. So she, in an article about the history of crystallography, which is the study of the structure of crystals, um, and is the research Mm -hmm. that my... Does it have to do with their healing properties of, like, rose quartz when you hold it to your chakra? Uh close but no not at all not really at all sorry (laughs) she's not into that it's more like using x-rays to look at crystal structures and like what does that tell us about things like science crystals like science crystals exactly um yeah not and so that's the that's the field that Mm -hmm. my paternal grandmother so my dad's mom was in um, and so sort of writing about that field, it often apparently has a reputation for being like dominated by women. And we should be clear. It's like, is it cause it's crystals for some reason, but it's like Sorry. still 86% male. So it's like not really dominated by women. So don't say dominated, Michael. Say like there's, it has more, some more women than other fields do. Not saying much either. No. Okay, there's gals there. There Great. are gals there. But the reason there are gals there, at least the theory that my mom puts forward, is um, not because of this harem effect. Because um, in crystallography, there's this one research group um, led by the Braggs um, who, you know, hired a lot of women and then, like, a lot of those women went on to do research. Um, but so she calls it the seeding effect in the same way you have, like, a little seed crystal. Like, if you mm. you put in, it makes more crystals. Um, and mm. she points to these examples of early female scientists who 
really make an effort to cultivate other female scientists and even just like the action of being a female scientist serves as a symbol that like this is an option and therefore like produces more female scientists to follow them so specific are you saying that representation is important michael i think that's what we're saying is your mom saying that representation matters michael that is what she is saying in a super sciencey way in the way that makes her published and then people read it and then understand it and then hire more women so that more women can be in fields that matter that is the dream that is the hope um and the really so the cool little thought experiment that she does is she looks and says okay if we take a pool of people and then pull a random selection of them that would be scientists. What happens if we exclude most women from that pool? Do we get less scientific discoveries? And it turns out, shockingly, that if you say limit the number of women who can be scientists to say 10% of the total pool of scientists, you miss out on something like 10 to 15% of all scientific discoveries. So, like, go figure. That's a pretty big deal. Like, if you had to pick which one of the like 10 most popular life saving drugs you wanted to do without this week, like, that's a tough choice to make. Yeah. And so, that like uh... argues not just like a, oh, we should respect the dignity of all people by like letting them pursue what they're interested in. And if they're interested in science, they should be able to pursue that as much as they want. But from like a purely yeah. crass, like, we want to know as much as we possibly can and like have as many discoveries as we possibly can. Like by excluding women, we're missing out on discoveries. And since yeah, in the like, like for example, in astronomy, about mm. 10% of PhDs in astronomy in 2010 were awarded to women. How many? 10%, which is sort of exactly where this thought experiment lives, which means we are probably missing out on about 10 to 15% of the discoveries in astronomy that we could be getting right now. Yeah. Um, so I promise I meant to end this on a high note. And so the high note is getting more <laughs> women in science gets more women in science. So by letting yeah. more badass women be visible and do the badass things that they're doing, that will in mm. turn create more opportunities and more female scientists to follow them. Yeah. Which is exciting and necessary. That is super exciting. And if they could do it in a corset and a big wool skirt in an attic in the Harvard Observatory, you can do it in 2018, everybody. Mm-hmm. With air conditioning and... And pants. Yoga pants and... <laughs> I don't know. No makeup. And you barely have to brush your hair even nowadays, it feels like. So so much progress. Just get on out there and do the work, man. And wear what you want to wear. I don't mean to, like, police your, your body or your uh, wardrobe. No. You can wear whatever you want to wear. As long as it's, like, lab appropriate, because I do know they have some dress code things. Yep. Closed-toed shoes. Gotta get those closed-toed yes, shoes. Yes, please. Because you're important. Um, That's amazing. I like talking... I like doing a duo episode again. That was a nice palate cleanse. Me too. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And, like, so much less stress. a lot of fun. And we talked about, like, the ladies, but we also talked about a lot of things. I feel... Which I think we could stand to do once in a while. Yeah. It's a nice... It's sort of like being able to, like, pull back a little bit. Be like, okay, there are, like, bigger issues, bigger things rolling around. Yeah, I think... Yeah. Who knows? Hopefully people appreciate it. Let us know. Give us some comments. Give us some feedback. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Yeah, let us know how you feel about it. I do know that I got a text earlier saying that um, one of our ladies was a clue on Jeopardy. Oh. 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 Totally forgot to mention, and should because we work in theater, but there is a play about the Harvard computers. Um, It's called Silent Sky. It's by Lauren Gunderson. It seems really interesting. There's only one male character in it, which is, for those of you who know about plays, shocking. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like, you know, it's an exciting little bit of pop culture to throw out there. So if yeah. you get the chance, go see Silent Sky and Silent Sky and learn about some of the Harvard computers. Yeah, get out there. Get them computers. Um, All right. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Katie. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Missing History. If you have suggestions for women you think we should profile, email us at missinghistorypodcast at gmail.com.
You can get in touch with us at Miss History Pod on Twitter or Missing History on Instagram. We're also on Facebook at Missing History. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Jen and co-executive produced by Frankie the Dog. Thank you for listening to Missing History.